Hello, friends, and welcome back to Captivate Podcast. You're with Mike and Andy. Mike, how are you today? I'm very good, Andy. And how are you going? Very, very good. Very excited to be back. We had this particular conversation a little while ago. Yes. And, um, last year, actually. Yeah. Why don't Why don't you introduce the person that's on this conversation, Andy? Okay. So our guest for this conversation is Anita Jardina. She is a lead pastor of a church called The Meeting House. Have you heard of The Meeting House, Andy? I have. Have you heard of The Meeting House? Yeah. Have you guys? <laughs> at the meeting house it's a great church uh yeah so that's a bit of a running joke we have uh we have interviewed a few people from the meeting house correct already haven't we yeah we had uh braxy kv who is the teaching pastor there on the show last year and we also had nate volza who is an aussie guy but he used to live in canada and he used to be one of the pastors at the meeting house uh, downtown toronto side mm-hmm. and anita uh used to be his associate pastor i think yes and now she is the lead pastor uh, at downtown toronto side of the meeting house church so mm. uh she's our guest today and our conversation is about her experiences in ministry, in pastoral ministry, and also a, a bit about her story, how she became a pastor. Uh, but mo- most primarily, I think we are focusing on, you know, what it's like to be a female lead pastor mm. uh, in 21st century church, male-dominated context, more often than not. Yeah, and we're hoping this encourages our female listeners, and we're also uh, hoping it challenges men uh, in how they support uh, females outworking their gifts uh, in the church and outside of the church as well. Mm. So we hope that you really enjoy uh, this conversation with Anita. Thank you for having me. Well, um, <laughs> Anita, why don't you tell us a little bit um, about yourself, a little bit about what you what you do and um, just introduce yourself to our listeners. So my name's Anita Jardina. I'm the lead pastor at a church called The Meeting House Downtown Toronto. Uh, so we meet right in the heart of the city and I'm also the Canadian director for women's speakers collective. So we do a little bit of work empowering women's voices and, uh, doing what we can to equip those voices to be heard. Can can you tell us a bit about your story? How did you become a Christian? How, how did this even happen that you are a pastor in the church? Yeah. Yeah. That's quite a long story. So you have five minutes. Uh, five minutes, okay. <laughs> How did I become? Okay, I grew up Roman Catholic, uh, and my dad, my dad's um, Italian, and he grew up Roman Catholic, and uh, my mom was from like a Mennonite background. So I grew up in an interesting mix of two kind of Christian households combining. Uh, but we grew up, we went to Catholic school and uh, Catholic church and stuff like that. And then had some kind of other influences. So I think I became a Christian largely through having that childhood experience. And then when I went to kind of see what I believe later on in life and wanted to decide what I was going to give my life to, like, what am I going to spend my life on? Um, I was drawn back to Jesus and my early experiences, I suppose. Um, coming at like coming out of university, I thought I knew everything, right? So I uh, was a little bit on a mission to figure out what I was going to do next. And I originally set out to prove that Christianity was really stupid because I had had uh, some not great experiences in some churches with people that I probably wouldn't want to be like um and and thinking like why do I want to be a Christian like I don't want to be like these people that I see around me and um 
yeah, so deciding, you know, this is stupid. I'm holding myself to these standards that I can't ever achieve and I'm going to prove that it's stupid. So then I, you know, took the most logical approach of reading the entire Bible and listening to all the Meeting House podcasts because Rexy was the most intelligent teacher that I could, I had come across at the time. And I felt like he was giving, he would give me the information, but tell me to go like kind of learn it for myself. So I would say that's a a big part of the story, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I went looking for God and found Mm. a group of people in the meeting house that I could say that I wanted to be like, and that felt like home for me. So I Mm. stayed and then I became a pastor. So how did this happen? Fast forwarded a bit there. It's it's a, it's a fairly big jump, I think, from you know coming to faith, okay. coming, coming to Jesus, and then all of a sudden I'm a pastor. So what happened? <laughs> yeah. You've got I'm I'm going to grant you another five minutes <laughs> okay. to be Thank generous. You. Thank you. <laughs> so how did you become a pastor? Uh, originally, like I started going to the meeting house consistently when I started when I joined a home church. So home church was really important for me. Just meeting in people's homes, having a wide range of different people who were like from different ages and stages and they were asking questions and it was kind of a a safe place for me to, I wasn't ready to ask questions yet, but I was really excited when other people asked questions because then I could listen to the answers and the leaders would get really excited when you ask questions. They'd be like, Mm. yeah, that's a great question. And that, you know, made me feel like (laughs) when I had questions, I was allowed to ask them. Mm. Um, So I fell in love with home church uh, that was a really important part for me. And shortly after that, maybe a year or so into that, I started helping to lead the home church that I was a part of. Um, and I did that for two years at a couple named Brent and Carol's house. So Brent and Brent was our associate pastor and Carol was his wife. And I got to spend a lot of time over there at their house, over there at their house. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they were, I think that they discipled me really well. They were encouraging and um, able to kind of play to my gifts and see those gifts in me and call them out in me and uh, challenge me, which was really important. And they, yeah. And so I ended up going to seminary, <laughs> which was not related. I liked reading. I like to read a lot. And so I was a bit of a bookworm and I was reading a lot of theology, but I didn't um, have any kind of method to the madness. I was kind of just reading what I was interested in. And so I felt for a little while that it might be a good idea for me to go to seminary and to study more so out of interest than anything else. And I was kind of asking myself the hard questions of what would I do if I had unlimited time and resources? And I decided I would probably Mm. just study theology and sit in coffee shops and drink coffee. And so I started, I was working full time. (laughs) Yeah, that's dream, what I right? that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I started. I met a girl at a birthday party whose name was Joanna, and she was going to a seminary just down the street. And I just had this moment of like, hey, if she can do this and like work, she's working at a church, and I was like, maybe I could do that. And then mm. I applied and got accepted and started in seminary. And then uh, just within the first few months, I never intended to go. I knew that I was going into some sort of ministry because I was like, yes, Jesus, like I'm giving you my life. I'm willing to do like whatever it is that you have for me to do. Uh, But I also remember the caveat of saying like, except for be a pastor. Um, And so I 
started in seminary. I was like in my first two classes. I had a funny experience with one of my professors who um, just spent some time with me trying to convince me to go into full-time ministry. And I was like, no, not, <laughs> like, that's not what I'm here for. Just everybody leave me alone. And I remember walking home from that meeting with her and just kind of talking to God and being like, you know, God, if you're asking me to do this, I need you to be really clear, please. Mm. And I had made a early New Year's resolution that year that whenever I found myself saying like, no, like, no, God, like not me or like, then I would change. I would like, you know, kind of like physically open my hands and say like, yes, God, you can use me. And so I had made that New Year's resolution. I had this conversation with the professor. I was like, God, if you're asking me to do this, like, please be very clear. And then finding myself having to be like, yes, God, you can use me because I had made this commitment that I would do that. And the next morning I got an email saying that our associate pastor had resigned. So Brent, who I'd been working really closely mm. with, who I'd been leading home church at his house. And I was like, okay. Uh, it's a sign. God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, can you, I need you to be clearer than this. And then, right. you know, a couple hours later I had an email Brent and then he emailed back saying like, I think you should consider applying for the role. And I was like, oh man. I need you to be more clear, please. And then it was just a series of, you know, the next right. couple weeks and months. Yeah. And then like two months later, I was a pastor. So yeah. wow. it was a pretty quick turnaround. But yeah, there's lots of, there's lots of little, you know, nudges along the way, but there's, there's my five minutes. How'd I do? Did Pretty I good. It? Very well. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't minutes? timing you, but I think it was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good story. So yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, so we want to just discuss just a quite a light topic with you today. Um, yeah. Um, so, um, for those who can't see, I can vouch that you are a female. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, yes. <laughs> um, and a pastor. Yeah. yeah and a pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, dun, dun, dun. Um, and because you're Canadian and Canadians and Australians are kind of like very similar um except one of us has an accent and it's up for debate who's who's the one um <laughs> well actually i also have an accent so it's we all have different yeah. accents <laughs> what you think about don't it don't make me say it. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not anyway, anyway, anyway yeah, go on. yeah all right yeah you said it for me um so yeah we just want to discuss like how you see those two playing together so a lot of um when i say a lot of people i don't know how to ask this properly uh without offending too many people but um, there is a, there is a little bit of stigma around um, you know women and pastoral ministry um, and ministry in general and how those mm-hmm. kind of um, play with the Bible and what that says. Um, so mm-hmm. can you can you just give us um, just to start off with just um, maybe one story or something like that of a challenge or something that you found um, you know in that kind of uh realm that we can kind of kick off with and yeah is there something that you can yeah kind of comes to mind for you when I talk about that one story I have a number of stories this is a good this is a good question um I think um what I'll say is some of the things that are can be difficult about being a woman kind of get amplified when you're a pastor Mm -hmm. so um, 
maybe I can share from one, some of my learnings and then yep. I'm sure some stories will kind of come out in there. Sure. Uh, mm. So one of the things that I had to learn uh, quite early on when I became a pastor is how to take these like balls of uncomfortable that people give you and awkward and just give them back. So, you know, when people say something that's really inappropriate or really offensive or something like that, I kind of visualize it as like, oh, okay, you just gave me this like gift of something that I really don't want. And I'm about to give it right back to you. <laughs> so when people say things that are like, you know, I think you can maybe imagine. So people, you know, maybe comment on your body instead of your teaching or something like that. That's mm -hmm. a really simple one. And you can be like, then I have learned, uh, this is a pro tip everyone, because I learned this the hard way, but I had learned to say, um, you know, instead of like smiling and laughing or doing any of those things that would just perpetuate the fact that this is going to keep happening to give it back and say like, oh, I'm sorry, what did you mean by that? Or I'm sorry, it's not appropriate for you to say that uh, or it's not appropriate for you to ask that of me, um, things like that. So I've mm. had to learn that really early on because, and that was hard for me to learn actually because I often, and I think yeah, I think I was kind of, I learned in life to kind of like smile and laugh that kind of stuff off. But mm -hmm. then when it becomes, you know, you're in the same place every Sunday morning and it's the same people who are going to do this to you uh, mm -hmm. on a regular basis, you have to learn how to draw those boundaries. So yeah, uh, there are lots of stories in there that I won't specify because... I don't want to make people too uncomfortable. <laughs> so yeah. names, give us names. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah you of want this, specific all, names. All these people. I've yeah. had, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've had, yeah. I, I don't think, I think people, people know what happens. I don't know. Like I've, uh, so sorry. I say, I'll give you a specific one that wasn't people inside our church. Okay, I was totally oh, joking, by the way. Okay. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> sorry I'm not going to give you names. That's it. Uh, I, was um, gonna, I, I was just going to, sorry, can I just pick up on what you said before? Um, this this yeah. met metaphor that you used of the gifts, so to speak, that people give you, and then you, yeah, yeah. you had to learn to give it right back. Give it back. So, it's, so it's basically, um, you know, because the, the people that you come across that usually make those comments are your family, your community, because you see them every Sunday. Yeah. It's basically, right. would you say, it's just simply challenging the culture of um, of your community, your family, yeah. saying, look, if we are going to do this, this being following Jesus together, if we are going to yeah. um, be a community that follows Jesus and submits to him, then we need to have those tough conversations how about how we are actually yeah. going to relate to one another. So it's... Yeah, absolutely. I, I suppose, I mean, I've never been in this situation because I'm not a female. Mm. Uh, so I'm guessing only that it's, it's challenging, but it needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think, is, is this what you're saying? A, a simple challenge to someone's yeah, perception? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I, think that, I think that's a very beautiful way of saying it. I also think that part, yeah, like part of it's just cultural and social. And some of it is, this is how people think that it's appropriate to like, interact mm. with somebody who's a female right and right. so then if if we're not helping people understand that that can be hurtful or harmful in the church then where are we going to be doing that right it, like yeah. that might be the only opportunity for this person to learn that that isn't a great way to speak to somebody who's a female 
I was going to ask, because we did ask you about challenges of being yep. pastoral ministry as a female, but what are some of the opportunities that you maybe actually wouldn't even have if you were not a female oh, pastor? Man. Can you talk about that a bit more? Yeah, absolutely. I um, I think um, the Meeting House has been really great at welcoming women in to be pastors. So I think we have you know, five or six women who are lead pastors and a couple more who are in pastoral roles at the Meeting House. And I think that that's a really big deal. And I think that that's a big improvement in the last like five or 10 years. I remember when I started at the Meeting House, there was probably only one or two women who were pastors. Um, so unique opportunities. I think, I don't know, I, I see the fact that I'm a pastor as such an anomaly that I just think that being a female like makes it extra of an anomaly. Mm-hmm. I it astounds me that it's ever happened. I've been in a number of instances where so recently I was at a kind of a meeting of pastors who were interested in ministry downtown Toronto. And um because I think maybe because our church has talked about women in ministry and things like that lately and they know some of the work that we're doing with Women Speakers Collective there was an opportunity for one person from each group to kind of stand up and identify um, who, what group you're from. And mm-hmm. so I was there with four other male colleagues. And when they said, choose somebody from your group to speak on your group's behalf, they were kind of like, you do it, you do it. And then, you know, they're like, no, Anita's going to do it. And I was terrified and shaking. And uh, I got up and did it anyway, because that's how you get better. And that's how you learn. Um, but out of that, because I was kind of the spokesperson for the meeting has in that meeting, I connected with a number of women after they came up to me in person and were just really encouraged by what we were saying and talking about even with home church and stuff like that. And a number of them have connected with me by email after, and we're just really excited that I was there and I was representing the meeting house and that I was a woman. So mm. I think that's a cool opportunity. I think mm. just the fact that women like I often have seen that women are just craving this connection with other women who are in ministry. So I think that's been a cool part of being a woman in ministry, you get to connect with other awesome women. Mm. The Meeting House obviously is a church that uh, is um, uh, egalitarian. And we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute. We'll explain what that means. It's a big Run word. Massive word. Often, Mike, yeah. Mike doesn't know what that means. So we need to explain <laughs> that to Mike. <laughs> Just kidding. But obviously the meeting house is a church. Is a church you. that, um, yeah, that's why you're here. Uh, <laughs> is a church that is promoting that uh, women in ministry, but, yeah. and, and meeting house, the meeting house is one of the biggest churches I think now in, in Canada. Uh, but what happens, this Maybe. is my question. Yeah. Uh, what happens when you, um, when you find yourself, uh, in a room with pastors, male leaders from different denominations, uh, and and they perhaps hold a different view about women in ministry. They they don't necessarily support uh, that. Do, is it is it awkward? Is it what what happens? Yeah, sometimes the worst. It's not awkward for me. It's not awkward because I feel like I'm just kind of punching up. Like it doesn't. Mm. Um, I've always been okay. Like I, I have two brothers. My mom had four brothers. Like I, I'm, I feel like God has uniquely put me in a position where I don't mind being the only one. And I, I, uh, I'm kind of 
more familiar with it. Like it feels kind of homey for me. So that it doesn't bother me being like the only woman in a room sometimes, which happens for sure. Um, especially when I have a good camaraderie with like one or two other people. Um, sometimes it is awkward, uh, especially if you know that the other person is, uh, doesn't approve. Um, mm. But that doesn't bother me so much. What is hurtful sometimes is when people that you know well who would be really friendly to you aren't friendly to you because they're with the other person that isn't a fan of the fact that you're a pastor or doesn't theologically agree with that. Um, so yeah, I think I think it does impact me, but I don't mind being in the room. But sometimes, you know, on my way home, I'm just like, oh man, I'm extra tired from that interaction. Right. Mm. Uh, so it's it's like kind of a costly thing in energy, but I'm pretty up for it at the same time. All right. Well, <clears throat> you've just thrown one of the big words we're going to talk about today out already. Egalitarian. So mm. egalitarian, yeah. I can't even say it very well. So can you explain? <laughs> you did great. Can you can you explain a little bit about what that is, and then we'll get you explain yeah. the other big word for us and then we'll just throw those around for a bit yeah can i say the other big word you can cool? say yeah Com- complementarian <laughs> yes great so me for doing it. <laughs> maybe i'll say like sorry saves me from doing it yeah there you go so maybe i'll start with the fact that there are some similarities between the two mm-hmm. so both complementarian and egalitarian these two big words that i will define in a moment are groups of people that hold a high value of scripture and both believe that men and women are of equal value in the image of God. So they have those two things in common, mm-hmm. which is great. And then complementarian, um, we'll let them go first, maybe. Yeah. Complementarians. <laughs> so they believe that men and women are made by God in a way that is complementary in nature. And it's kind of been that way from the beginning. And so then biblical womanhood and manhood look like um, fulfilling different designated roles, maybe divinely designated roles, especially within the home and the church. So what that looks like played out is in um, teaching scripture publicly and in governance, particularly in the home and in the church. Uh, those roles are the responsibility of men and then women play a more uh, supportive role. So they may be involved in decisions and things like that, but they would defer to the male uh, headship. So whoever is maybe their spouse or Mm -hmm. whoever has authority over them. Whereas egalitarian, on the other hand, Uh, They believe that uh, all people are equal. And so men and women, while I think most egalitarians would agree that they have complementary like features, um, they're both like encouraged and free to use their gifts in any of the ways that they can do that in the home or in the church. And so authority and responsibility are things that are more shared um, with submission to one another and to Christ. And so for the complementarians, they see it as, uh, the male is kind of this image of Christ. And so the woman submits to the male as the church submits to Christ. So male is representative of Christ. Woman is representative of the church. Whereas in the egalitarian, uh, viewpoint, 
um, both men and women are in submission to one another and in submission to Christ all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, I think the reason why we are even talking about this, so this egalitarian and complementarian uh, positions is because, um, you know, you, you have passages uh, of Scripture that mm-hmm. on, on the surface, when you read the Bible, on the surface it looks like women preaching and being pastors and teaching is something that goes against the teaching of the Bible. Mm. So you've got this. There's quite a few passages I think that we could mention here, but um, I mean, I'm I'm sure you know all about this. But the Ephesians five passage and one Corinthians fourteen, and and, um, one Timothy, Timothy, very famous passage. Uh, If you're listening to these guys and driving, then you can uh, look it up later. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) don't do it now. Uh, But yeah, so so you've got those passages uh, where the surface reading seems to imply that to be a female and to be a pastor or to be a preacher is something that God is not happy with. So that, that's why it's so controversial, yeah. right? So um, I forgot where I was going with this. I, I, I was, what, I was, what do we do with these, Andy? What do we do with these verses? Exactly. Yeah. Thank, you very, thank you very much. That's exactly what I was going to ask. So yeah. what, what do we do? Uh, how, do yeah. how do you help people um, understand the uh, egalitarian uh, position? Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, what's important to know is that both complementarian and egalitarian, as I said, both hold a really high view of scripture. So scripture is really important to both of us, both groups, people that would find themselves in either camps. And so um, what it often will come down to is how do you read scripture? So there's like a fancy word called hermeneutic that talk, that refers to kind of the lens through which we will look at scripture. And so um, the thing to keep in mind when we're reading scripture and when we think about anything that we're interpreting in the Bible is that we're always going to be using a lens uh, and probably different lenses. Like we can come at it from different lenses and hermeneutics is helpful because we can say, I'm going to take this one lens and look at the Bible through this lens. So in my tradition, where I come from the Anabaptist tradition, and so a Jesus-centric lens when we look at the Bible is really important to us. So we'll read the Bible as a whole and say, you know, um, what do we understand about Jesus and how can we take the lens of Jesus and who he is to read everything in scripture. Mm-hmm. We also think like a community hermeneutic is really important. So we read the Bible together, we interpret the Bible together and things like that. And so I think that when you look at some of those texts that seem to be really problematic for women in ministry, we have to, at very least, there's a number of things that you can do to kind of wrestle with them. And I think we should wrestle with them. Um, But one of the things that we can do is just take it in the context of who's writing. So Paul is uh, often the friendly person who's writing these letters and he's writing specific letters to specific groups of people at a specific time. Um, He's, he's writing uh, often like in like corrective measures, like encouragement, but sometimes he's sending some uh, correction in these letters. And we can see in other areas in the letters that he's, uh, affirming women in different roles. So he has friends like Phoebe and Priscilla and Junia 
who he refers to in his letters as well and seems to be referring to, um, you know, ministry roles. So if we're going to take Paul's words, then we should take them as a whole at very least. And so we should take maybe the verses that are challenging and say, well, what, how does that make sense in light of everything that Paul said or other things that Paul has written that might be in contradiction to this? And then can we learn more about the context in which it was written and what might have been happening at the time or who he's speaking to uh, to really learn a little bit more about that? Um, and so, so like that's kind of referred to as reading Paul in the context of Paul. So we can't just read one line and say this applies for everyone everywhere or all women everywhere now uh, without taking it into the full consideration of Paul and of scripture and who we know Jesus to be and what Jesus demonstrated. Um, and then, so read Paul in the context of Paul. My One of my professors, Marion, says read the unclear in light of the clear. So I think that's kind of just another emphasis mm. on that. If there's a verse that seems unclear or how could this be? Or does this make sense for everyone, for every time, for everything, for all time? Then maybe make maybe read that in the context of things that are clear. Like some yeah. of Jesus' teaching. Yeah, good. Very good. Yeah, I don't know whether this is putting you on the spot, but just, just to um, try and bring this home for people a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, in, I'll take one of the examples, probably the most difficult one. Um, so 1, 1 Timothy 2, um, yep. so maybe 11 and 12. Um, what's, your, what's your understanding on that? Um, yeah, and how, how would you bring a... Um, I guess an egalitarian perspective on that those particular verses uh, or that particular section of what Paul's kind of writing in light of, as you said, the rest of Paul's teaching, Jesus' teaching, and that kind of thing. Mm. All right, one Timothy two. So I think main, the main kind of bits that stick out for people are eleven. And I'm going to read it for everyone. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Yeah, Mm. so I'll pick the most difficult one for you. I can't. (laughs) So that's all I have to say for today. That's that's what my Bible says. My Bible says. So, (laughs) yeah. I So... I think that it's important to consider that there are lots of different interpretations of like any verse in the Bible. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's partially why it's so important for us to read the Bible in community and to learn from Mm -hmm. one another, like both men and women should be learning together. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know if it's helpful for me to give my interpretation so much as I would encourage people to read some of the different interpretations and background and context that a lot of scholars have already done. Yeah. yeah. So I know, I know that uh, Cynthia Westfall wrote a book um, that's called Paul and Gender. I can't remember exactly the title. It might be Paul and Gender. And we did a 
podcast with her at the meeting house uh, with mm-hmm. Roxy and I think Peck. And so she she's like a scholar who's gone into the text and um, picked these things apart. But so I, I was just going to say it's it's often the case that we go to churches and you know if if you're a young female you listen to the sermons of your pastor or teaching team and they might have a particular view like say complementarian right. and it's and it's easy i think mm-hmm. to be influenced by what's being preached mm. from the complementarian perspective because that's all you know you come yeah. to church and you trust that you're being taught the right things mm-hmm. and so i guess it's kind of you know it, it's a challenge that we should I think, uh, you know, put out there for people and say, look, there's a different point of view that you might want to explore and mm. be egalitarian, big words, but, you know, I think it's all. Pretty and there are, lot, there are lots of them. Yeah. Like I have, I, so you know, the way my brain kind of works is I will argue to myself, like everything on the spectrum, I can argue everything from like completely one side to completely the other side. And then I'm kind of happy to sit in a certain zone, but I often won't choose like I don't, I don't even need the specific answer. And so mm. when I think about some of the more problematic texts, I think of, you know, Cynthia Westfall, my professor, Marian Taylor, how she's taught, Richard Rohr has taught me about um, how to interpret this. And they all have different interpretations are like slightly different. And mm-hmm. so I think that they're all, they can all come at it from a different kind of approach and different perspective. But I would take any uh, inkling of like, mm, this doesn't seem right, or uh, I, I wonder what God means by this, or I wonder what the Bible means by this, or Paul, or whoever's writing, I would take that as an invitation to dig into it further and say, mm-hmm. like, okay, Jesus, what do you have to teach me here? And like, what are you calling me into here? Mm-hmm. Because uh, while I am firmly in the egalitarian camp, um, there are a number of people that I learn from and who have different positions, who have different explanations for why this can be interpreted in a egalitarian way. Like, um, just a woman learning in quietness and full submission means that she's learning in general, which may have been a step up from what was happening previously. I learned earlier today that if a woman's learning, then in Jewish culture, that the intention would be that she'd be mm. teaching. Mm. And so that's um, pretty incredible if you think of it in those sort of contexts. But then when it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man, she must be quiet. You might need to look a little bit more into the context that was, that was yeah. being written to or the specific people that it was being written to. So, yeah, I think, I think I have in my like Rolodex in my brain, like a couple different explanations for um, mm. some of the more problematic texts. And they, some of them come at it from completely different perspectives. I think Richard Rohr had said um, in the translation, you can maybe assume that the, the first part of a sentence is like the question. And I think that's in second or first Corinthians. It's the question. And then mm. the way that he's writing is the answer. So in regards to this question about women in the church, but it doesn't, I don't, I don't need to have like a really clear answer on that. I just mm. need to know kind of the range of some different options and maybe falling on one of them is helpful for some people, but I'm just happy to kind of know the different options. Yeah. Yeah. How my brain works. Yeah. And there is a number of different, like this is, this is a fairly hot topic for people. Still, there is a number of people writing still 
um, on, you know, very different perspectives and having different uh, views on that kind of thing. I just finished reading um, one particular view in preparation for this, this interview. Um, But um, but yeah, there was heaps more I could have read um, that I found. So Yeah. yeah, definitely the, isn't short of information on uh, people's different interpretations and yeah. stuff. I was going yeah, to mention it's a really one. important thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to mention one more thing that uh, we shouldn't also <laughs> assume that you've got those two camps: egalitarian and um, complementarian. Yeah, mm. and as if it's a binary choice. That's right. You yeah. you, you sort of have people yeah. on the spectrum, and sometimes <laughs> you've got you've got egalitarians who are very close on the spectrum to complementarians. There's only maybe minor differences. Mm. And, yeah. and at the same time, you have someone who's, you know, very conservative complementarian. Women cannot right. do anything <laughs> apart from, you know, cooking and cleaning. And then you've got mm. other egalitarians who are just sometimes, you know, so far, so, so progressive that mm-hmm. sometimes uh, can potentially become, mm. you know, distorting even the scripture. So it's, that's an important distinction mm. to make as well. Mm-hmm. That you've got yeah, people that good. are sometimes on the spectrum. So. Yeah. Um, I think there's one more one more parallel that I'd just be interested to hear your perspective on. Um, yep. One of the things for uh, we're both um, pastors in the Baptist Church in Australia, um, so um, and one of the things that's kind of like a hot topic for us that kind of I see there's parallels between that and this discussion is um, domestic and family violence. What a like. How do you see people's understanding of of scripture mm-hmm. um, contributing uh, to some of the issues that are within um, domestic and family violence? So that that actually, yeah. um, you know, I I have my own personal view on this, but I'm interested to see, mm. you know, like this this stuff does happen within the church. How do you see some people's views on this yeah. particular debate actually feeding into how they? treat people within their family and other yeah 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 i think um you know what you said about all of the the reading that was available on yeah. a topic like this i think it's really important um that we wrestle through how we're interpreting the bible mm. because it contributes greatly and maybe this is less the case today but throughout history, it's contributed greatly to our culture and our society and how uh, that has been formed. And so if the way that we're interpreting the Bible is through only one lens or very narrow lens, and so not just a hermeneutic, but maybe, um, you know, historically, it's mainly been through the white male lens that we're you know, reading Bible commentaries. And if you read through the history textbooks Mm -hmm. for the history of Christianity, you're going to have a certain demographic that shows up a lot. And there's some people that are missing there. And so if we're only reading it through a certain lens and there's other groups that aren't represented, so maybe women or minorities or people that aren't, um, you know, privileged at the time, then we are going to miss things. And so some of the things that I have been learning from Marianne Taylor, who's one of my professors, is the history of women's interpretation of some of the of the Bible in general, but especially some of the key scriptures that some of that have been used to um, support a worldview where women might be like in Genesis, the reason for the fall, or 
in other areas they could be seen as that, or even in, in Genesis, they, uh, women are like the temptress or things like that. I think that, you know, how we are interpreting the Bible and teaching people and passing things on can have a great deal to do with how we begin, like how that's kind of lived out, how people are treated, Mm -hmm. how people are, you know, if Eve is the cause of the fall, then it's not, I can imagine that it might not be a far leap for, you know, the woman to be responsible for some other part of things not going super well since the fall. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think, I think that like my, I would attribute a greater responsibility to the fact that we don't have equal um, history of interpretation. And so that kind of contributed to the culture that we have now in terms of women sometimes being, well, pretty generally being taught to be like quiet and submissive and, you know, be pretty and quiet is kind of like the thing that women are taught. And so Mm. even as a pastor for me to get on stage, I had to kind of unlearn quite a bit of that to say, okay, no, I have to like hold the microphone and not apologize with my body language for being on stage and taking up people's time. Mm. Um, So I think the way we interpret the Bible and who is helping us interpret the Bible and who is speaking into that is so important to how we learn about ourselves and how we live our lives and how that uh, plays out over time. So I can imagine that that would contribute to like violence in the household. Um, even just the alienation of men from women or the objectification of women that's prevalent in our society contributes to those things. But I would say that the, the, um, yeah, the interpretation who's at the table when we're interpreting verses like this and scripture, like some of the, one of the things that I've learned from Marian Taylor is that women have been interpreting the Bible just as long as men have been, which Mm -hmm. is shocking because that seems impossible uh, because you don't, you don't know lots of them. But then when you start to read some of their interpretations of even Genesis one through three, you see them saying things like, well, you know, if Eve was part of the fall, then she's part of the redemption. And so women have a role to play in this new creation and in this, um, this new kingdom. And so if we had even a glimpse of that, if you can like, you know, imagine 2000 years ago, having this history of interpretation that even had an equal part of women of women's interpretation saying we have an equal part in redemption and in, in making mm-hmm. this right. And in the new kingdom, I, th- I honestly think the world would be a different place. Like I can't imagine what that would look like. I think it would filter into a lot of places in our culture and society that are right now, like tainted in the other direction. So I think mm-hmm. that's something that I've kind of been playing around with and digging into and learning a little bit more about. Um, can that turn into domestic violence? I'm sure that it can. It, um, it turns into violence toward women in lots of ways. Uh, not even, doesn't even have to be in the home. Right. Mm, mm. But yeah, I think the way we interpret the Bible and good theology is really important. Mm. Amen. And amen. <laughs> I'm going to say amen to that. That was good. 
Uh, can I just pick up on on something that you said a few minutes ago? That's not maybe so much related to the debate between complementarian and egalitarian and all the stuff that we just talked about. But you yeah. mentioned um, that you had to relearn certain things. Yeah. So when you go on stage as a pastor and you and you preach, or you you just like you said, take people's time. You talk to people. You, you had to re- relearn certain things and and sort of. Yeah. Uh, work on on certain skills, public speaking skills. Can you tell us a bit more about the the process and what that involves, and potentially for those who are listening, uh, you know, our female listeners that are thinking of going into ministry and maybe are struggling with that kind of stuff? Do you have any yeah. any tips or anything that could help them? Absolutely, absolutely. I would even say I had to unlearn a lot of things. I think there were things that I had learned that weren't helpful. Um, I know, I know that, uh, you guys know Nate who, yep. uh, Nate Vosser, or you call him Nate, which seems very strange yeah. <laughs> to me, but yeah. he was my, uh, he was my pastor, um, uh-huh. when I, when I became a pastor. So he hired me as the associate pastor at the meeting house, downtown Toronto. And then when he left, I replaced him and, um, it was very, very difficult for me to get on stage. It was very difficult. I, I think I've been a pastor for uh, like three and a half years now. And I have only recently uh, stopped having the like fight or flight response when I'm about to go on stage, even just for like five minutes. Mm. And so um, part of that, I think, was me just thinking that, I didn't have anything like important to say or who am I to go and do this? But I think that for people who are thinking about going into ministry and people who are wanting to encourage women who are going into ministry, I think that sometimes it takes a little bit more encouragement and a little bit more, which Nate can probably attest to for me. He would regularly like talk me off the ledge, be like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And then like push me off the ledge, like go, (laughs) you're on now, go, (laughs) which is exactly what I needed. Um, But yeah, sometimes you have to be a little bit more patient with people in their process of getting there. I have women that come to me fairly regularly now, especially because of my work with Women Speakers Collective. And they, they say like, Anita, I think God is asking me to teach. And they like, and they like make a face and they're like, so like, you'd think that they were being asked to eat worms. Like, I think God's asking me to eat worms. It's awful. I (laughs) I don't even want to say it out loud. And you're like, no, like this is entirely possible. And this might be Mm. where you're gifted. And this might be how you're contributing to the kingdom. And Mm. people should see you as a woman teaching and preaching and leading um so things that i had to unlearn there's a lot there's a lot give us top um, top three maybe i don't know top 10 i don't know <laughs> yeah one of the things um you know what it's really important for people for i suppose women to see mm. other women doing it when i saw danielle strickland at the global leadership summit like three or four years ago i immediately i didn't i hadn't quite identified what it was about most women speakers that I had seen. But when I saw Danielle go on the stage, her body language and everything, she was, I'm sure not completely comfortable. Like it's an uncomfortable situation. You're talking in front of thousands of people, but she was not apologizing with her body language in any way for being on stage or for holding the microphone or for speaking into the microphone. And 
just seeing that, I remember thinking like, what if all women could do this? Or what if more women could speak the way that Danielle speaks and share the way that Danielle shares? And she's, you know, a master of her art, but just seeing her do that, I didn't even know her at the time, was uh, really incredible for me to see and to think it's possible to get there. Like it's possible to not be terrified when you're on stage holding a microphone. Um, so unlearning that I would never get there, that I could never get to a place where I would be comfortable holding a microphone or talking on stage, unlearning that, you know, even some of my leaders have told me that I've slowed down my pace. Like I've slowed down the way that I speak Mm. and that when I'm speaking slower, um, one of our leaders was like, it's really important because it helps people know that you know what you have to say is important and that you're not just trying to rush through it so that you're not taking up people's time. Mm. Um, yeah, I had to, I had to unlearn quite a few things. I had to unlearn that when you write a sermon, you shouldn't write the whole thing up in an essay and then try to memorize it. That was really hard. Don't do that. Oh, that's interesting. That's talk, really talk hard. about this. <laughs> it's very difficult to do that. I would try to memorize the entire entire sermon. I would write myself an essay and then try to memorize the whole thing. And it wasn't until the Women's Speakers Collective boot camp where uh, Danielle was like, that doesn't really make any sense because it's a different part of your brain that you use when you're writing than when you're speaking. And so now I've started to like preach the sermon to myself. And say it and like say it in my brain and like talk it through to myself and then write keynotes and like I'll write up important things and I need the safety blanket of my notes when I go up. But but yeah, it's made a big difference. And so just mm. like little things, little little big things like that that you don't they make a really big difference. Mm. Mm. So m- most of the things that you've learned, would you say, were uh, sort of a fruit of your relationship with other mentors and and particularly female mentors like how, what's the importance of, of mentorship for, for female preachers i mean i guess mentorship overall is such an important thing for anyone discipleship yeah. is what we are called to yeah. do disciple one another but would you say that having another female on on journeying with you alongside of you like you know you mentioned neil strickland not sure if you did mm-hmm. any any work with her um, but um, how important is it for, for young females, for example, wanting to be in ministry to have other females mentoring them? Or does it matter if it's another gender mentoring them or does it have to be female? I think it's great to be mentored. Mm. Um, I think it could be problematic if you assume or expect that the mentor is going to fill all of the things that you need. I think especially as women, it's important to have people who are like spiritually mentoring you. And then I think for women, it is important. uh, So just speaking from my experience, I suppose, it's important for women who are teaching and pastors to be connecting with other women who are doing the same thing because we need to see each other doing it and we need to be able to, I think, encourage each other. When I um like when I've been a, in a room of women who are in a similar, um, like 
place in their ministry in a similar role. I've been really surprised at just the, the energy in the room. People are so excited to meet each other and connect with each other. And I think sometimes it's easy to feel like you're the only person that's doing this or, you know, it's only me and these three women that I know or these five women that I know. But when there's so many more, um, it's just an important thing for, for women to know that they're not the only ones doing it and that there are other people not only right now, but like throughout history who have been doing, you know, preaching, teaching, biblical interpretation, all those mm. things. Um, yeah, they're not the first one to have somebody walk out of mm. the room because they're a woman teaching. You're not the first person that that's happened to. Yeah. I promise you. Yeah. So I think, I don't know. I, just, I think there's something, there's some magic that happens when women get in a room together and uh, encourage each other and are cheering each other on and that kind of connection. Um, I think it's wonderful if you can find a mentor who's a woman who's been doing ministry for longer, but it's probably not that. I don't, I don't know a lot of them. So <laughs> if, if people do know them, then you can give them my phone number. <laughs> but I think it's important for, for men to be willing to mentor women and give them chances and give them opportunities and mm. let them give it a go encourage them to give it a go but i wouldn't put it all on having one mentor mm. i think you can put yourself in a situation like the women speakers collective boot camps are a great opportunity for women to have that kind of like mutual mentor mentorship but also learning a lot from danielle and some of the other teachers so mm. i think you can put yourself in those situations but i wouldn't put it all on having one mentor and I guess you have to also, you know, have the mentality of uh, like discipling yourself, you know, like leading yourself. So you can, you can yeah. read stuff, you can, you know, practice if you have the opportunities. You can just look after your own personal development. And yeah. I mean, everyone you see resigning. Yeah, to and get around. And use the same mic. So, yeah. Yeah. And get around other people who are doing it, you know, mm. so that you can kind of mutually encourage each other and mutually learn. Mm. Um. Yeah, especially if it's mm. if you're starting out, like if it's a newer thing yeah. in your world. Yeah. Cool. Uh, before we finish, Mike might have another question, but can I just? Sorry, Mike. <laughs> See, I always do this. Mike has a yeah. question, and then I'm like, "Oh, actually," <laughs> and I jump in. But I just want, <laughs> I just want to because you mentioned a few times um, a women's uh, was it was it women's speakers collective. Uh, yes. Or, can you can you talk a bit more about what it is and if it's something that people from other countries, not just Canada and US, can get involved yeah, in? Yeah. So Women Speakers Collective was kind of born out of the fact that uh, there aren't a lot of women speaking at a lot of events and things like that. And that's not uh, for lack of gifting or talent, but it's often, you know, they're not confident enough to do it or they don't know how to get from here to there and so the boot camps are it's like a two-day boot camp and, and there's a lot of really hands-on practical training with Danielle Strickland who is a fantastic speaker and um yeah everyone gives their best five-minute talk you get called up, you got to give your best five minutes and then you get feedback from Danielle and Autumn Katz, who's the CEO of Women Speakers Collective and one other person. And 
you get so you get their reference, like you walk out of the boot camp with a reference from Danielle and some other speakers. Mm. You come out with a five minute clip, like a five minute video of your best talk. You come out with a headshot and some really practical training on how to actually start uh, getting speaking opportunities. Because often, even if women are gifted and talented enough and called, like they have it, you know, they've got the fire, um, they might not have a headshot or, you know, a highlight reel or something like that to get those opportunities. So it really, um, it functions as kind of getting them to, like, I came out of that realizing that I could open a website and like put up some videos that I already have and start offering myself as a teacher, which I had never even considered previously. And I did the boot camp just because I wanted to get better. Uh, not because I had an interest in speaking on a regular basis, but it, it was really, really helpful for me. And what we're doing out of that is we're building a profile of speakers. So when people are looking for, um, speakers, then we have a website called womenspeakerscollective.com. It has a profile of speakers on there that are ready to go and trained and they have their bio and headshots and everything up there. So they're available to be sourced out for speaking opportunities. So then when people say, you know, when you go to your church, your denomination, you say, hey, it'd be really great to have a woman speaker. And then people say, oh, well, that would be nice, but we just hire the most qualified or we can't find any who are ready and you can send them to this website and we have a whole list of them. Mm -hmm. So we've done boot camps. We've done one in Canada. There's been a bunch in the States and there's been one in the UK. So I would just keep an eye on the website for a boot camp closest okay. to you. So nothing in Australia. <laughs> At this Not stage. yet. Yeah. Not yet. Not no yet. one no. goes to Australia. Australia doesn't exist. Don't you know that? It does. <laughs> no, it's a bit far. It seems very far away. It's like in the yeah, future, Australia. Yes, it, so it is. Um, so, just before you go, um, a couple of things. Um, can you tell us about? You've mentioned a few people already, but who are you learning from? Who's encouraging you as you're reading, as you're watching, and all that kind of stuff um, that you want to share with us? I have a long list, but I'll keep it short. So, yeah. Marion Taylor is one of my professors. She's done a lot of really groundbreaking work on women uh, biblical interpreters. She's compiled a number of different resources, including the Handbook of Women Biblical Interpreters, I believe it's called, which is a resource. And it just lists like lots of women who were interpreting the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, Danielle Strickland had mentioned, she's an incredible speaker. I've learned a lot from her. She's written a number of books as well. Autumn Katz is the CEO of Women Speakers Collective. And She's somebody that I'm learning a lot from, even in her um, just example. So her and her husband have a very interesting and like wonderful relationship where he sees part of his ministry as supporting her ministry, which I, I think we often see in the church in the reverse. Like women are often like, this is um, yeah. part of my ministry is supporting my partner in, in his ministry. Mm. But Daniel's really wonderful at, you know, making choices in order to encourage Autumn in her ministry. And so mm -hmm. seeing their relationship is a wonderful example for me and kind of like groundbreaking for me. Yeah. Um, and the, and I would say just staff at the Meeting House, I have a number of really wonderful women that I get to work with and kind of do life with and figure out how to be a female pastor in 2019 together with. And so they're teaching me a lot and we're learning together. Mm. 
Awesome. I think it'd be one thing, just speaking entirely to women now, um, mm-hmm. one thing to encourage them in uh, their life and ministry, what would you say to them? I would say do the next right thing. Do the next thing that God's asking you to do. So for me, it was, you know, enroll in seminary um, or agree to have a conversation with Nate about becoming a pastor and thinking it would never actually happen. But I would say for me, it was just making those choices saying, if, if I'm following Jesus with everything that I've got, this is the next right choice for me. And I think that's the best advice I can give somebody. Yeah. Fantastic. Amen. And amen. I think I'm out of questions now, Andy. So you can wrap up if you like. <laughs> Good stuff. I think I think that's I think that's it. So thanks so much, uh, Anita, for being yeah. on the show and for sharing with us some of your experiences and your uh, journey and the insights and explaining to Mike what egalitarian <laughs> and complementarian positions are. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sure it's he's really, going really to really I'm sure he's going to remember this and really value your explanation. Uh, so yeah thanks for being with us and um yeah let's stay in touch we'll we'll, we'll try and link all the things that you mentioned uh, in our show notes so this uh, women's speakers collective and maybe um some of the names that you mentioned of the people that influence your thinking so danielle sure. strickland and, and other people mm. um so it's easy for everyone to access yeah cool. great i can send you a list i'd happy, be happy to do that oh that'll be super yeah. helpful actually yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks teamwork cool yeah all right thanks so much thanks guys it was fun 